Book the Fifth, Part Seven of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Fifth, Part Seven. The distances and powers remained in Heidelberg for some days. All remarked that after Somerset's departure, Paula was frequently irritable, though at other times as serene as ever. Yet, even when in a blithe and saucy mood, there was at bottom a tinge of melancholy. Something did not lie easy in her undemonstrative heart, and all her friends excused the inequalities of a humour whose source, though not positively known, could be fairly well guessed. Stancy had long since discovered that his chance lay chiefly in her recently acquired and fanciful predilection d'artiste for hoary medieval families with ancestors in alabaster and primogenitive renown. Seeing this, he dwelt on those topics which brought out that aspect of himself more clearly, talking feudalism and chivalry with a zest that he had never hitherto shown. Yet it was not altogether factitious, for, discovering how much this quondam Puritan was interested in the attributes of long-chronicled houses, a reflected interest in himself arose in his own soul, and he began to wonder why he had not prized these things before. Till now, disgusted by the failure of his family to hold its own in the turmoil between ancient and modern, he had grown to undervalue its past prestige, and it was with corrective ardour that he adopted while he ministered to her views. Henceforward, the wooing of de Stancy took the form of an intermittent address, the incidents of their travel furnishing pegs whereon to hang his subject, sometimes hindering it, but seldom failing to produce in her a greater tolerance of his presence. His next opportunity was the day after Somerset's departure from Heidelberg. They stood on the great terrace of the Schlossgarten, looking across the intervening ravine to the northeast front of the castle, which rose before them in all its customary warm tints and battered magnificence. "'This is a spot, if any, which should bring matters to a crisis between you and me,' he asserted good-humouredly. "'But you have been so silent to-day that I lose the spirit to take advantage of my privilege.' She inquired what privilege he spoke of, as if quite another subject had been in her mind than Stancy. "'The privilege of winning your heart, if I can.' which you gave me at Karlsruhe. Oh, she said, well, I've been thinking of that. But I do not feel myself absolutely bound by the statement I made in that room, and I shall expect, if I withdraw it, not to be called to account by you. The Stancy looked rather blank. If you recede from your promise, you will doubtless have good reason. But I must solemnly beg you, after raising my hopes, to keep as near as you can to your word, so as not to throw me into utter despair. Paula dropped her glance into the tear garden below them, where gay promenaders were clambering up between the bushes and flowers. At length, she said with evident embarrassment, but with much distinctiveness, I deserve much more blame for what I have done than you can express to me. I will confess to you the whole truth. All that I told you in the hotel at Karlsruhe was said in a moment of pique at what had happened just before you came in. It was supposed I was much involved with another man, and circumstances made the supposition particularly objectionable. To escape it, I jumped at the alternative of yourself. That's bad for me, he murmured. 
If after this avowal you bind me to my words, I shall say no more. I do not wish to receive from them without your full permission. What a caprice! But I release you unconditionally, he said, and I beg your pardon if I seemed to show too much assurance. Please put it down to my gratified excitement. I entirely acquiesce to your wish. I will go away to whatever place you please, and not come near you but by your permission, until you are quite satisfied that my presence and what it may lead to is not undesirable. I entirely give way before you. I will endeavour to make my future devotedness, if ever we meet again, a new ground for expecting your favour. Paula seemed struck by the generous and cheerful fairness of his remarks, and said gently, Perhaps your departure is not absolutely necessary for my happiness, and I do not wish from what you call caprice. I retract that word. Well, whatever it is, I don't wish you to do anything which should cause you real pain, or trouble, or humiliation. That's very good of you. But I reserve to myself the right to accept or refuse your addresses, just as if those rash words of mine had never been spoken. I must bear it all as best I can, I suppose, said Testancy with melancholy humorousness. And I shall treat you as your behaviour shall seem to deserve, she said playfully. Then I may stay? Yes, I am willing to give you that pleasure, if it is one, in return for the attentions you have shown and the trouble you have taken to make my journey pleasant. She walked on to discover Mrs. Goodman near, and presently the whole party met together. Nostancy did not find himself again at her side till later in the afternoon, when they had left the immediate precincts of the castle, and decided on a drive to the Konigstuhl. The carriage, containing only Mrs. Goodman, was driven a short way up the winding incline. Paula, her uncle, and Mr. Stancy walking behind under the shadow of the trees. Then Mrs. Goodman called to them and asked when they were going to join her. "'We're going to walk up,' said Mr. Power. Paula seemed seized with a spirit of boisterousness, but quite unlike her usual behaviour. "'My aunt may drive up, and you may walk up, but I shall run up,' she said. "'See, here's a way.' She tripped towards a path through the bushes, which, instead of winding like the regular track, made straight for the summit. Paula had not the remotest conception of the actual distance to the top, imagining it to be but a couple of hundred yards at the outside, whereas it was really nearer a mile ascent being uniformly steep all the way. When her uncle and Estancy had seen her vanish, they stood still, a former evidently reluctant to forsake the easier ascent for a difficult one, though he said, We can't let her go alone that way, I suppose. No, of course not, said Estancy. They then followed in the direction taken by Paula, Charlotte entering the carriage. When Power and Estancy had ascended about fifty yards, the former looked back, and dropped off from the pursuit to return to the easy route, giving his companion a parting hint concerning Paula. Whereupon Destancy went on alone. He soon saw Paula above him in the path, which ascended skyward straight as Jacob's ladder, but was so overhung by the brushwood as to be quite shut out from the sun. When he reached her side, she was moving easily upward, apparently enjoying the seclusion which the place afforded. "'Is not my uncle with you?' she said, on turning and seeing him. "'He went back,' said Distancy. "'She replied that it was of no consequence, "'that she should meet him at the top, she supposed. 
Paula looked up amid the green light which filtered through the leafage as far as her eyes could stretch. The top did not appear, and she allowed Stancy to get in front. It did not seem such a long way as this to look at, she presently said. He explained that the trees had deceived her as to the real height, by reason of her seeing the slope foreshortened when she looked up from the castle. Allow me to help you, he added. No, thank you, said Paula lightly. We must be near the top. They went on again, but no Königstuhl. When next to Stancy turned, he found that she was sitting down. Immediately going back, he offered his arm. She took it in silence, declaring that it was no wonder her uncle did not come that wearisome way if he had ever been there before. Stancy did not explain that Mr. Power had said to him at parting, There's a chance for you, if you want one but at once went on with the subject begun on the terrace. If my behaviour is good, you will reaffirm the statement made at Karlsruhe? It is not fair to begin that now, expostulated Paula. I can only think of getting to the top. Her colour deepening by the exertion, he suggested that she should sit down again on one of the mossy boulders by the wayside. Nothing loath, she did, to stand standing by, and with his cane scratching the moss from the stone. This is rather awkward, said Paula, in her usual circumspect way. My relatives and your sister will be sure to suspect me of having arranged this scramble with you. But I know better, sighed Distancy. I wish to heaven you had arranged it. He was not at the top, but she took advantage of the halt to answer his previous question. There are many points on which I must be satisfied before I can reaffirm anything. Do you not see that you are mistaken in clinging to this idea, that you are laying up mortification and disappointment for yourself? A negative reply from you would be disappointment early or late. And you prefer having it late to accepting it now? If I were a man, I should like to abandon a false scent as soon as possible. I suppose all that has but one meaning— that I am to go. Oh, no, she magnanimously assured him, bounding up from her seat. I adhere to my station that you may stay, though it is true something may possibly happen to make me alter my mind. He again offered his arm, and from sheer necessity she leant upon it as before. Grant me but a moment's patience, he began. Captain de Stancy, is this fair? I am physically obliged to hold your arm, so that I must listen to what you say. No, it is not fair. Upon my soul, it is not, said Distancy. I won't say another word. He did not, and they clambered on through the boughs, nothing disturbing the solitude but the rustle of their own footsteps and the singing of birds overhead. They occasionally got a peep at the sky, and whenever a hit twig hung out in the position to strike Paula's face, the gallant captain bent it aside with his stick. But she did not thank him. Perhaps he was just as well satisfied if she had done so. Paula, panting, broke the silence. Will you go on and discover if the top is near? He went on. This time the top was near. When he returned, she was sitting where he had left her among the leaves. It is quite near now, he told her tenderly, and she took his arm again without a word. Soon the path changed its nature from a steep and rugged watercourse to a level green promenade. Thank you, 
Captain Destancy, she said, letting go his arm as if relieved. Before them rose the tower, and at the base they beheld two of their friends, Mrs. Topar being seen above, looking over the parapet through his glass. You will go to the top now, said Destancy. No, I take no interest in it. My interest has turned to fatigue. I only want to go home. He took her on to where the carriage stood at the foot of the tower, and, leaving her with his sister, ascended to the turret to the top. The landscape had quite changed from its afternoon appearance and had become rather marvellous than beautiful. The air was charged with a lurid exhalation that blurred the extensive view. He could see the distant Rhine at its junction with the Neckar, shining like a thread of blood through the mist which was gradually wrapping up the declining sun. The scene had in it something that was more than melancholy, and not much less than tragic. But for Destancy such evening effects possessed little meaning. He was engaged in an enterprise that taxed all his resources, and had no sentiments to spare for air, earth, or skies. Remarkable scene, said Pa mildly at his elbow. Yes, I dare say it is, said Destancy. Time has been when I should have held forth upon such a prospect, and wondered if its livid colours shadowed out my own life, etc., etc. But begad, I have almost forgotten there's such a thing as nature, and I care for nothing but a comfortable life, and a certain woman who does not care for me. Now shall we go down? End of Book the Fifth Part Seven